what's up, Tanya? Welcome to the stream. How you doing? Good to have Good. you. Good. A, a little tired. Just got back from uh, Denver last night. So. Oh, and still doing it. Yep, still, still you're here. a champ. You're a champ. Thank you for thank you for putting on for the people. We really appreciate your involvement here. And I know that you're tired and you're still pushing through. So again, thank you very much for uh, for putting this talk together for us. No worries. You know, for once I get a chance to speak the way that I'd love to speak about diversity and cuss. And, <laughs> yeah, feel free. You know, just kind of not, and not hold back because, you know, for anyone watching, what usually we see diversity panels, there's a lot of very polite kind of hedging around of what diversity is. And there's never, and no one talks about the elephant in the room of usually it's an all white panel talking about diversity. Or they have a bunch of brown people, but that's the only time you're going to see brown people at that conference. Mm -hmm. So I get I get to talk about that in a way that is a little more open, mm -hmm. um, in a way that I might do at PAX Dev. For those who don't know, PAX does a dev only conference. That's two days before PAX West. Mm -hmm. um, media's not allowed. It's black boxed. You can't tweet about it. Can't share about it on social media. Oh, wow. And so oh, it's a lot dope. more open because you're talking you're talking to peers. And you get to talk in a way that you couldn't, let's say, on the main pack stage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we're super excited uh, to hear what you got to say. Yeah. And so whenever you're ready, we got your slides open. Yeah, we're going to quiet our mics for you. You are free to go. All right. If you want to switch over to slides, there we go. Yay. Um, so, hi, everyone. My name is Tanya. For those that may or may not know what I do, I run a nonprofit called I Need Diverse Games. And what we do is we get people in the industry. Part of what we do is actually send 25 people every year to the Game Developers Conference with a conference plus summits pass. You know, it's changed over the years. It used to be all access. But basically, you get all five days of GDC. Unfortunately, because we're small, we can't give you money. But hey, the pass for a lot of people is the biggest cost. Um, and so this is just a little bit about me. I'm not going to read a slide at you because everyone hates when people read slides at them. Uh, we're all adults. We can all read. If anyone has questions about stuff that I've done that's on the slide and we get to AMA or Q&A, feel free. Um, you know, if anything pops up in the chat, you know, someone grab that for me because I can't look at the camera and the chat at the same time. And, you know, I just want to have a, a loose conversation, but a very real one with you all. And even though my nonprofit is called I Need Diverse Games, even in the time that I've been doing this, diversity is a buzzword. You know, there's your tick boxes. There's, do we have a black person? Do we have an Asian person? And, and they don't even bother to differentiate between what part of Asia those people come from. Um, they may have an Indian person. They may have someone who's native. Maybe they'll have a bunch of women. They're like, cool, we're diverse. Um, but that's not it. That's not diversity. That's just we're doing the bare minimum to look like we care, to look like we're aware of the issues. And look, here's our color Benin ad in either a game, a game dev studio, a panel, but that's not it. That's not enough. They don't do anything after that panel's over. They don't do anything to bring folks into the fold, which is what inclusion is. And so many people get to the 101 step of diversity and don't get past that to inclusion, which is why a lot of things fail. A lot of things are like code camps. And not the code camps are a failure, but here's your laptop, here's eight weeks, learn to code, good luck. That's all you get. And there's not a lot of follow-up, there's not a lot of, you know, following people after the fact and making sure, did they get a job? Did they learn further skills? What did they do after that code camp? Do they follow up, you know, a month later, a year later? Um, and so what I'd love for you all to take away from this, and forgive me if I talk fast, I, I'm a fast talker when I'm giving kind of speeches and panels. So if anyone in the chat needs me to slow down, just kind of someone in the chat kind of at me and I'll try to do my best. Um, but I want to be real and blunt with you in a way that I normally don't get to be on panels or talks. And, you know, why diversity became this useless buzzword. Um, allyship is shallow and I hate the word ally. Um, some people get really defensive about that. Take that to the altar of your choosing. Um, and why inclusion has to go beyond those and why inclusion does when it's done well. And the last thing I'll give you is kind of ways to start doing better than checkbox diversity. So these are just a few things that people think diversity is. It's June, it's Pride Month, 
happy Pride Month to my rainbow family. But we see so many companies and game companies, especially look on Twitter, look at all the rainbow avatars that are suddenly there just for June, June 1st to 11 59 They'll have a rainbow logo. They'll have rainbow merch. And um, what about the other 11 months of the year? What about your LGBT employees who don't feel safe coming out? Do you have an LGBT affinity group? Do you care about people that don't feel safe if they come to HR? Um, do you have LGBT characters in your game that are well done? Did you reach out and get LGBT folks to help conceive of, create, write those characters or that scenario? Or is it another trip down, kill all our gays, nobody gets to be happy if they're queer? You know, what are you doing beside this? Um, February is the shortest month out of the year. And that's the one month out of the year. A lot of companies seem to remember that black folks exist, that our money is just as green as everyone else. And I know we're broadcasting on Twitch, but I'm going to say it. That month is the only month where you get to see a lot of black folks on Twitch on the front page. And it's always kind of the same black folks. There's more of us than you realize. Um, March remembering that women exist and making everything pink, which a lot of us don't like pink. Um, you know, just the empty corporate messages. And since this is gaming, a lot of pink gaming accessories come out in March. A lot of, you know, women branded things aimed at women, like super cute, putting a bow on, on characters to show that we're their female, which means nothing at the end of the day, because you're going to do this March 1st to 31st. And then April 1st, you're going to forget that women exist again. Um, and what I'm loving about GDEX, GDEX is the event's free. You can tune in on Twitch and watch it. It's not going to cost you thousands of dollars like PAX, PAX Dev, GDC. Because for those that are watching that may or may not be exactly in the industry and just watching to learn, the Game Developers Conference is really, really expensive. You're looking at two grand for a pass before you bought a flight, got a hotel, been there for a week. And that's if you want to go all five days. Um, and then the last thing is inviting marginalized folks. By marginalization, I mean someone who's a person of color, queer, neurodivergent, disabled, um, anyone who does not fit what society deems as the standard, basically not a cis straight white dude. And when we get invited to things, we get invited to just talk about our marginalization. And that's not all we can talk about. I've got a user design degree that I've yet to use that I don't get to talk about. Um, I can talk about plenty of other things besides being marginalized in the game industry. Yes, the nonprofit I run is to help people, but that is not part and parcel of all I do. You know, I stream, I do a lot of other stuff. But when I, usually when I'm invited to things, it's to talk about simply how much it sucks to be brown, female, queer in these spaces. And that's what people think diversity is. Um, so I stole this tweet from my friend Tito on Twitter because, you know, in the chat, show of hands, how many of you have gone to a diversity panel that looks like this? So, I mean... I've been to too many panels where you go and it's a bunch of well-meaning white people. And the thing is, I don't want to make some like, oh, somebody watches them like, oh, you just hate white people. I don't fucking hate white people. But the well-meaning white person in the office is usually the biggest danger to me as a person of color versus the out and out angry or openly racist person. So, you know, and I put this there just for a little bit of levity because this is kind of a heavy topic and some people will be in their feelings. Um, but again, I've gone to too many panels and, and Wallace is up. I want to tell you a story. The first time I went to PAX and it was PAX East, I believe. I went to what was supposed to be a diversity panel and it was two white teens. I didn't know they were really young teenagers until after the fact but they they had a good idea. Their intent was great, but they clearly had no adults in their corner that were looking out for them because they got on stage and tried to talk about issues that they did not have the language for. And their whole model of trying to do better by diversity was selling t-shirts on Facebook. And they got roasted by the panel. 
by the panelists, by the attendees. And then when it showed that they really weren't equipped for this is someone asked about what about trans issues and the, the young lady said, Oh, you just have to wait. Now for me, grown black woman in the U S who has too often been told I got to wait my turn. Um, that was it. That was when I had to get up and go. Um, Hoxie, I see your question. Someone hang on to that for me for later. Um, and I will get back to that in a second. Um, and so many, I have never been in a panel where just so many people got up and left at various points of a panel because they clearly were not equipped. And this is what I mean by most people are well-meaning. They're not, for the most part, aggressive. They're not trying to be um, ignorant. They really do mean well. But these were also younger people that didn't have the language to really talk about these issues. Um, so I want to get into the catch 22 of diversity initiatives and then I'll answer Hoxie's question. Then we'll open it up because this is one of those things where I'm sorry, not open up. I want to talk about what you can do and then we'll open it up. Um, the non-marginalized people usually mean well. And by this, I mean, when you are in an office job and the diversity committee is led by the one queer white person they could find, or they find the one brown person that is willing to do it, or maybe isn't willing and got forced into it. Um, and it's now part of duties as assigned. Anyone who's ever had an office job, when you have that review and there's always that little column, this other duties as assigned, it gets crammed in there, but then they don't give you any space to actually get your work done. Um, and it's like they mean well, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions, as a lot of people like to say. And they do things like, you know, when I was in high school and college and in a day job, they do things like, let's have an international food fest. We can learn culture through food. Except a lot of people that say this thing will not eat the funny looking food that they're co-worker brings because it's not what they know. It's not what they were raised with or they smell it and they think it's weird. And you don't really learn anything and you now insult the co-workers and friends. Or they they have that moment that I like to call the zero to 100 wokeness problem where something happens be it an interaction with a person, be it an interaction with a co-worker, online, what have you. They have that moment of oh shit, the world is racist, like we're kind of seeing now with the current administration in the U.S., where people are finally having this, the world isn't fair, it's terrible, it's fucked up. But this awakening that they're having is the world that we've already lived in as marginalized people. I've already dealt with being harassed, being called racist, being called all manner of slurs, both gendered and racial and etc. And so they have these moments of oh, the world isn't as rainbow, as a rainbow and, and sheep and lemonade as I thought. We're in trouble. And then they go from zero to 100 on the wokeness meter, and they become that annoying person that DMs you or sends you articles or they play a video game to keep it in the context of today, and they see a stereotype, and then they're mad. They're mad, they're angry, they don't know what else to do, and, and they want you to fix it, or they want you to see how aware they are, and they don't realize that they're now creating emotional labor for you. Or when they do a panel, or when they want to start a committee at work about you know queer issues or what have you, or whatever affinity group a lot of offices call it, they don't have the range and this is going to make some people mad, they don't have the range for the conversations. They haven't done the reading. They haven't done the work. They don't know what the word intersectional means. And this is a blanket statement. I'm well aware of this, but I can't, I can't individually talk about every person that I've never met. This is just what I've observed and experienced working in higher ed and corporate environments and just in the work that I do and trying to talk to people about diversity and inclusion and realizing they have no fucking clue what they're talking about that they're often reactive rather than proactive. Um, that's the second point. 
a lot of times people think checkbox diversity is enough. Um, and then when you go, actually, why is it we don't have any people of color in a C-level so exec- or executive level at our company, at our studio? Why aren't more women leads, like lead writer, lead narrative designer, lead art? Um, when you question these things, then they go, but, but we had this whole... But we did Black History Month. We did Women's History Month. You know, there's rainbow stuff available. Uh, yes, I can see it. Um, we have rainbow flags available for people. Why aren't you happy? And it's like your gesture for this one month, this one week, this one event is not enough. You know, you have to keep going you have to do more and it has to come from a place of I want people to know that they are safe here, that they are, that they have a place in our organization that when you come in the door, that's not where you're going to stay, that there's opportunities to do better. Cause you may see a very mixed group in a studio. You may see a very mixed group. Like when, like for those of you that are in the industry, your studio may be amazing and awesome but when you go to those C-levels, when you see the studio heads, the directors, the executive directors, it's usually all white dudes. You may have one white woman there. And they go, but look, we have a woman. And it's like, no, that's not enough. Um, so to, to kind of move on to the next point about reactive, a lot of times and a lot of what I, the work that I wind up doing, especially for diversity consulting is People are at a point in their project, a point in their game, a point in development, or they, they run conventions, they do whatever. And someone has pointed out your convention, your game, your project is really, really white. And they're like, oh, shit, what do we do now? And that's when they start reaching out to people and go, hey, is there a way you can help us fix this? But usually at the point that they've re- reached out, your assets are done, your writing's done, maybe your mocap is done, and you're at a point where it's like either you fix this in DLC, which then makes you look like, oh, you remember brown folks exist when you bring out DLC, that women exist and they're not cannon fodder, you don't fridge them, or you delay cost, making a higher cost of the project. So you need to think about the stuff initially. Exactly, Leaf. Um so when I say proactive, it's like when you're sitting down at that initial concept stage, when you're sketching out characters, when you're giving them a backstory, when you're writing, you know, if you write a black character and you give them the background of a thug, of a drug dealer, of a pimp, a prostitute, uneducated, you are falling into stereotypes and tropes. If you draw a, a Mexican character and you draw them in a way that makes them look like a gangbanger, again, you're falling into stereotypes and tropes. But everyone will come back, and, and this is, a, again, a blanket statement. Um, but that's what we know. That's what people know. How will they not know? Because you can look like anyone else. It, your ethnicity and your mode of dress don't go hand in hand. Um, you know, and even down to the voice actor, because a lot of times black characters, ca- characters of color, are not voiced by someone who matches their ethnicity. You know, non-humans obviously being the exception, but, you know, having Lincoln Clay voiced by someone who's actually black or, or mixed was a big thing. Um, but in a case like Dragon Age Inquisition, where Vivian was not voiced by a black woman, but an Indian woman and she sounded British, it's like, for some people, it's like, she doesn't sound black, which is a weird thing to say, but those black folks in the chat are getting where I'm coming from, hopefully, where you just hear the voice, you're like this i know what you're going for she doesn't sound like the stuck up auntie that we all have or may know um sorry and getting a little sniffly maybe traveling has gotten me sick so i want to go on to the next thing which is again expanding on the reaching out to marginalized folks only to talk about marginalization and reducing us to a one-dimensional thing and then when we say i'm tired of doing 101 I'm tired of always being reached out to when let's say you've got your fictional version of Africa and you want me to fix it, but not realizing that as an American bred U S person, I can't really fix that. I can go and look for your obvious stereotypes, but I can't do a whole lot. Um, 
to fix this because you've come up with this whole world, this whole expanse, everything you've done, but you never thought to actually ask black people when you were writing it. So now we have to come in and patch it up. Um, or they just, or they pull out the, oh, well, we need the best candidate. Like being inclusion, being inclusionary, I think that's a word. Um, having inclusion and thinking about this, the forefront and quality of candidate, quality of staff don't go hand in hand. Because if somebody's working on a AAA game that costs millions of dollars, et cetera, no one is going to get the people who are not good fits, who are not, I'm sorry, not good fit. Let me walk that back because good fit is also a way to exclude people who are not going to be best for the job because you're handing them a franchise, you're handing them whatever. You need to know they can do the job. You know, everything else aside, you walk in a AAA studio, they're not going to hire you just for a diversity quota. But they also shouldn't hire you because, oh, this is a black character. We need to work on just the black character. Um, so what people need to do is realize that we can talk about other things. We can do other things besides talk about how much it sucks to be brown or black or female or queer or neurodivergent or disabled. These are all things that make up a person. It's called intersectionality. It is not simply just who we are on the outside that makes us good for these roles. It's that we can bring something to the table that another experience may not have. Um, and the last bullet point kind of goes into that as well. Um, so what I'm going to do actually, cause I, I, I'm a firm believer in trying to cut down the number of slides that I have. And we've already talked for a little bit. Um, what I want to leave you with is, is this one piece of advice while I talk about ways in which you, those of you that are in the industry can do better. And then we can keep some AMA. Um, I, when I started, I talked about, I hate the word ally. I really hate it because people use ally as a shield for, for doing one thing. Oh, here's a safety pin. I bought a rainbow ribbon or I put a rainbow thing on my social media profile. Therefore I'm an ally. Actually, you're not, you have not done the basic work. Um, and that is a shield against criticism because, Oh, look, it's June. I bought a rainbow thing. I was probably my friend. Aren't I awesome? You're not, you're really fucking not. And again, keep in mind that I bring, I come to this from a place of having seen a lot of things, a lot of people who have gone, but, but I, I've got a black friend and they think that's a shield and it's not. Um, so I prefer the term being an accomplice when someone is in need, you know, do your best speak up for them, but do not speak over them. And that is one way that you can be an accomplice. You can speak up, but not drag your friend into it or your internet acquaintance. Cause let's be real. A lot of people tag internet acquaintances and want cookies for doing the bare minimum, or they notice something and they send it to you and they go, aren't you mad about this? I'm like, no, I frankly don't give a fuck right now. You need to remember that emotional labor is still labor. So remember that phrase. If nothing else I said resonated with you, be an accomplice, not an ally. Um, and so while I'm talking about tips of how to do better, start queuing up your questions. Um, so what you can do to be better and, you know, be proactive, not reactive is if you're in a hiring position, seek out people, not just so you can say you've filled your diversity check boxes, your diversity quota. Um, if you're, if you're in a position where you can't hire and you've noticed your studio, your project is very white and you're trying to have a diverse group of characters, worlds, what have you believe in diversity consultants. They believe in you like your money, um, reach out in places like Twitter, etc. Um, following, um, following people and listening. That is the best tool you can have because a lot of times people respond out of wanting to empathize and always wanting to empathize is not always the best thing when it comes to a person of color, especially um, on Twitter and other places and in offices, at least in my experience, again, mine trying to have an open discussion about race, gender um, orientation often leads to, well, this one time someone touched my super curly hair and I know just what you're talking about. And oh my God, people are terrible. And I'm like, no, 
not today, Satan. This is not what I'm talking about at all. Um, so you can listen and be quiet and, and absorb. Um, follow people and um, when you can support folks that are doing the work independently, if you are a game maker, remember the world is not all white. It is not the default. For the love of God, if you make a medieval game, get out of England um, and hire more people that are not like you. Go out in the world. Go talk to people when you are at conferences and conventions. Get out of your clique because a lot of people have cliques and they have bubbles and they travel um, and learn, be open, go read. And I'm not saying that to be sarcastic. Literally go read what other people are writing because so much of what I run into is people who have not read other folks writing. They've not read books by black authors because they assume that they're black books, which I don't know what the fuck that means. Um, And most of all, realize that sometimes everything isn't about you. It's not for you. There are spaces that people of color, queer folks, disabled, neurodivergent create that is for them. And it's okay for you not to be there. But if you do want access and are told no, deal with it. Um, You're actually wrong on that. Let's be awkward, and I'm going to address that in a second. Um, And then the last thing is remember that you and your experience does not override or negate anyone else's. And this is including marginalized people because my experience as a Black queer woman does not invalidate or override another black woman's experience. So this is where you can find me on the internet. And if you want to go back to the either throw me up on the camera or talk, throw questions in the chat. So if I look this way, it's because I'm looking at the chat on my other monitor. Um, But I want to address something less be awkward said. Um, food for thought. Marginalized people did another mar- different until society let them know, usually in a negative way. I'm going to push back on that because society unto itself has not has said I'm different because of racism, because of systemic oppression. Look at the way. Look at look at all the ways in which I, as a black person, am not represented in just everyday media, or you know, it's not like. I didn't know I was black till I looked in a mirror or someone pointed out that I was black. All of these things that make us marginalized are because of not societal systemic things, the repercussions of slavery, the ways in which neurodivergent folks are treated as abnormal. And look at, they finally took being transgender out of what is, it's not the DSM. They finally stopped categorizing being transgender as a medical, as a mental illness in 2019. So that I'm going to push back on. It's not that we it's not that we didn't know we weren't oppressed or marginalized. It's that society has treated us in this way so long. A lot of people are like, oh, this is this is how things are for me. So I think we have 15 or 20 minutes left. If yeah, and people you're actually doing a great job. You're doing a great job of fielding questions. Uh, I think we were going to ask a couple ourselves, but we can also help moderate as well. Um, That's fine. I, I know there was one earlier, and you refreshed the chat. So did you lose it? Because I still have it. It was oh, from yeah, Hoxie. From Hoxie 3D. Yeah, please go ahead and answer yeah. that if you'd like. I'm sure. So Hoxie earlier when I was talking asked, can you explain that a little bit? How would an openly racist individual be less dangerous than a well-meaning individual? So, Hoxie, with an openly racist person, I know where I stand. I know that they hate me, that they think I'm less, what have you. Um, But someone who purports to be an ally and gets angry or is clueless and, and ignorant out of just not knowing versus actual malice, they can be more dangerous because they are the people that I've seen and experienced that will turn on you in a second um, there's not enough cussing for me to talk about David Cage um, because I know where I stand with a racist with a very open racist someone who claims to be an ally who is well-meaning they're the people that have literally turned on me on a dime of well how dare you I tried to help your people I gave I gave money to the NAACP or I gave a homeless man like five dollars once 
and they and they feel like they're whatever bit they've done if it's not fawned over if it's not appreciated if you don't stop everything to do the emotional labor to educate them when google exists and this is the thing for anyone white watching this there's a thing called google there's a thing called google scholar look up intersectionality and kimberly crenshaw it is not the job of a marginalized person to educate you when the time you take to send me that message or anyone else, you could have looked it up yourself. So that's why I say an openly racist person is less dangerous than the well-meaning white advocate. All right. So I'm going to, yes. So I've got a question from uh, left-handed Heather. Just give me a second to okay. make sure my mic is good. So this may be just cannon fodder to be destroyed, but how do you feel about members of the majority trying to touch on the stories of the minority? So I think this was the David Cage reference that you were saying. So like a la David Cage with Detroit's sorry MLK attempt. Obviously, the bare minimum is involving marginalized people in the creation of a game. But how can accomplices work towards improving these narratives? Um, I think it can be done. So anyone that's talked to me for five minutes knows that I love Mafia 3. A majority of that dev team was white, but they had black people involved. And they also had black um, folks who were involved either as um, consultants or as part of the writing team. I think it has to be done very intentionally and carefully. Do your research and get people to vet what you're doing. Um, it can be done, but it's a very slippery slope of, I want to have an homage verse, or I want to tell this story. And it's hard because just because a story is, is something that may have happened to a black person, that doesn't mean I may necessarily be the right person to tell it. I may not be the right person to delve into that. Like, you know, I don't know anything about Louisiana. I don't know anything about sixties mafia culture. So without research, I still couldn't have told that story, even as a black person. So I think it can be done, but it needs to have a lot more care, a lot more research, and definitely uh, diversity consultants. All right, coming back in. I think Brandon's got a question this time. Yeah, I have a question this time. Uh, Let's see. So this comes from Pure Evil. Uh, That's the the name. (laughs) Isn't keeping straight or white people out and telling them no, the same thing those people do to minorities oppressed people just on a smaller, less serious scale? Or or do you think it's a necessary evil to give marginalized people a safe place until they are seen as truly equal by society? You're lucky it's too early for me to drink. Um, No, it's not the same thing because the rest of the world that are not marginalized have the whole fucking world. If I want to have a space that is just for other black people, just for other black women, just for other black queer women, that I know we can have conversations that I can't do publicly, that I can't have in other spaces, because there's always someone, well-meaning or not, that wants to come in and, well, actually, they want to come in and go, well, I, as a white man, are going to tell you why you're wrong. That is not the same as drinking fountains being marked as just for white people. It's not the same as education segregation because if if i don't have that space in my life at least for me other people in chat can speak up i need to have some space where my people being other people of xyz identity that i can talk to it and then even then we're still not going to agree there's other black queer folks that i can't stand that i don't agree with And there's other black women that i don't get along with we don't agree on stuff we don't see eye to eye on stuff just because we want to have a space, and it's not about society seeing us as equal. What do you think country clubs are? What do you think all these places that are private clubs and private gentlemen's clubs were? Those are places for specific socioeconomic class of white dudes to gather. They didn't have to deal with folks. They didn't have to deal with women. They didn't have to deal with poor people. Me, have, me wanting to carve out a space for me and mine is not the same. It will never be the same. I can't legally keep people out of let's say a gathering I do for I Need Diverse Games. I can tell them, hey, this space is meant for other black people, other queer folks, other women, but I can't legally keep them out. But there are legal ways in which I can be kept out of, say, a country club or something else. So there's no way the same. All right, Uh, Larry here again. Thank you very much for the passion behind your questions and answers, both sides, guys. Um, 
if we are not letting some of this stuff breathe, obviously it's because of time. So this next question comes from, let's see, if man one, how as a straight white male, uh, how do I initiate these conversations without coming across as offensive or extremely naive? Also, how do you explain to people working remotely from other countries that don't understand the American point of view on this that we need to clear or that we need to cater or at least be sensitive to these views and ideas? Um, in that case, I would amplify the voices. Like, if you have to talk to folks who work in other countries have a list of articles, have a list of, of talks and other things by people that explain and not in academic language. Cause I worked in academia for 16 years and it's incredibly inaccessible and the language used is not for they, th- I feel a way about academia cause I worked there for so long. Uh, but like non-academic resources, articles, maybe not movies cause movies have a slant to them in terms of, of where they're trying to go. And a lot of movies that are supposed to be about a black experience either are, oh my God, we were slaves, we'll never get over it, or it's meant for the white gaze, like the Green Book. Um, I mean, you could also say just up front, sorry, I know this isn't my experience. I'm trying, I'm trying to understand if you have the capacity, can you point me to resources? If you can't, I understand. And then just Google things like intersectionality, race relations in the U.S., look up Google Scholar and things like in the last 10 years, a lot of discussion. Um, I'd say look up the Invisible Knapsack by Peggy McClintock, because that is a really good primer on privilege. A lot of people don't think they have privilege, but they do. And also just, you know, point out that yes, me and a lot of things I am naive. So I think if you are honest and don't do the, well, actually, what about this? Or I think those statements prefacing your question are the ones that a lot of people will use as a way to kind of get their way and do whatever. And it's hard. It's hard. A lot of people, they're not interested in discussion. They're not interested in learning. So if you preface in a way that shows that you are interested in not just learning, but also in a way that you're going to take this knowledge and do something good with it, that's what you can do. But you have to remember some people are just jaded. Some people are, have been hurt a lot. I've been stalked and harassed on the internet. I've been stalked and harassed on Twitch. So I know for me, a lot of times I don't give people benefit of the doubt, but that's the downside of what's going on here. And a lot of times you can meet, you can have the best intent in the world and you may catch my on a bad day, but just be honest, be upfront and be okay with getting no, be okay with someone going, you know what? I don't feel like it or go find Google. It's your friend and not getting mad about it. Cause it's no one's job to educate you. Okay, this next question uh, is from Cyber Siberius X. How do you deal with being marginalized when a group colored female trans hypothetically would say they don't agree with you? Has that ever happened by any chance that a colored person approached disagreeing with you? Um, yes, and actually, I, I don't know how old you are, Siberius, but most people don't say colored person anymore. Um, when I wrote an article for Mike, it was about arms and I don't know if anyone played it. It's on switch. It's a fighting game and everyone has like these springy arms, but the one Brown girl, her hair was a weapon. I wrote about this and it segued into the weaponization and talking about black women's hair and black hair and games. The worst response I got was from other black people. And it actually changed how I approach talking about things online. I haven't really done a lot of games journalism, but I also respect that other people have different opinions. We're not a monolith. You know, a friend of mine and I were about the same age. We both grew up in Chicago on the South side. And we disagree on a lot of things, but she's her own person. Her experiences shaped her mind shaped me. And it is what it is. As long as you're not actively attacking another person of color and saying, basically you're doing, you're doing being black the wrong way. You're doing being female the wrong way. You're not queer enough then people can disagree as long as they're not fighting about it and attacking each other and, and sicking their social media followers about it. Cause there's some things like Detroit become human. My dear friend, she loves this game. She, we are literally the same age. We're both black women. She loves this game, loves it to pieces. Me, not so much. And it's mostly because of the narrative and the attempts of telling a story and then doing the hand wave of, Oh, there's no politics here. There's no, there's nothing here. So I can disagree with someone, but being both, both of us being black, 
doesn't amplify or change that disagreement. And if someone's like, well, I don't see color and they're also black, I'm like, you'll have your moment. Something will happen to you or not. And maybe you'll see where I'm coming from and maybe you won't. Maybe you'll get real lucky and never have racism happen to you. But we know that's a fallacy living in the U.S. All right, so I've got a, a question here. This one is from uh, Pitabasche, I believe, or Pitabasse. Uh, forgive us if we butcher your names, but, you know, par with the course, right? Uh, what are your thoughts on black comedians? I'm black, and I can appreciate comedians like Dave Chappelle, but my white girlfriend doesn't get his humor at all. Isn't it also just true that not everything needs to cater to everyone? Uh, I, I actually have gotten away from watching comedy because... I found that a lot of black comedians, their whole shtick was, hee hee, white people are funny, they do these things, right? Um, or they may talk to a black experience that, while we're both black, I can't relate to. So, if they're talking about specifically things that black Americans or black folks may get kind of universally, she's never going to get it. She may never see why it's funny. And I stepped off the Dave Chappelle train when he started making his transphobic jokes after he came back. Got five minutes into that special. was like, deuces, I'm out. So I've just stepped away from a lot of comedy. And the same with like queer comedians. Because for me, as a bisexual person, every joke turns into those greedy buys. And I'm like, deuces, I'm out. I can't stand this. So it just may not be for her. If she can't get it, she can't get it. It's Again, this goes back to there's some stuff like I will sit and listen to Bernie Mac. You know, rest in peace, but a white friend may not get it, but I'm going to get it because I'm of a certain age and a certain era. And if she don't get it, that sorry, but that's just her. But there's there's very few comedians I will watch in this day and age. So we uh, this question is actually from me personally. Uh, we've talked a little bit about on this stream about, you know, just like people being very involved in communities. And we had mentioned cosplay. So I'm going to use that as like a segue into a question that even I just like some reflection on from you, uh, if you don't mind. So when I think about, let's say, representation of characters in sort of media and also appreciation, right? Like when we say cosplay, we'll have a lot of black people who may dress as non-black characters but then a lot of people will claim there's a double standard that, which prevents white people from potentially doing the same, like white people dressing as black characters. Usually it immediately gets referenced as blackface uh, publicly a lot. And then also let's look at that in movie and film. We will have a uh, celebration when like, hey, Idris Elba might be the next James Bond. This feels really cool. Or Marlon and Sean play white chicks. This is going to be awesome. This will be funny. And then you'll have obviously another, uh, let's say, non-African-American audience wanting to do something similar to the African-American audience. And obviously they will get met with vitriol and dragging, as uh, I love to say. I love that word, getting dragged. Uh, I guess, and this is not loaded in any way. I'm just asking, like, how do you feel about these types of scenarios? And I guess, what could you say to kind of help people who are thinking about this as well? So with cosplay, a lot of times when it's when people say blackface, it's because someone's actually made themselves darker, not just because someone's dressing as a character. What I found is the other way where black folks are cosplaying as quote-unquote white characters or anime characters or what have you people are like well you can't do that they're not black and it's like so if i'm only supposed to cosplay black characters that leaves me what 15 people maybe and there's still there's dark-skinned black characters that if i cosplayed in dark and my skin i'd be doing blackface um as for the second part of it it's it's hard because a lot of people want to uh, it's hard it's hard because cause I'm, I'm not a cosplayer i've only done very bare minimum cosplay but there's a lot of attempt to say oh it's about authenticity but i've been to, i go to a lot of conventions you can dress as a character without darkening your skin and be authentic now if your characters if your costume is so bad nobody knows who you are and you don't darken your skin that's a whole other issue I feel I sometimes feel about color culture, but I've also participated in color culture when I see some things because I just feel like in 2019 we need to stop going. Well, people didn't know; they thought that 
they think it's that's a racist or if you say blackface is racist you go well i was just doing cosplay it's still a racist thing so it makes me wonder are people not learning about this history are people not aware that blackface is not simply something back in the 40s and 30s and and neil jolson and minstrels that it still happens i mean i've studied in japan in 2000 one, I went back in 2007. People still did blackface then, like not that long ago. But I do like it when it's productive. When people, when someone actually has a light bulb moment of, oh, this is bad. But too many times we see people just drag their feet and they don't want to admit it and they don't want to hear. They just feel like you are picking on them. That how dare they become racist? Because a lot of people think racism is a hood and the KKK and a burning cross. They don't think of it as a systemic way. They don't think of it as the casual comment to someone like, oh, I didn't know you washed your hair when you have dreadlocks. Or, you know, or they, when I'm streaming and people put chicken and watermelon emotes in the chat, they don't think about that as racist. They think like, oh, it's the internet. Lol, it's a joke. So I love it when folks get dragged for that stuff because. In some ways, they're not going to learn. If they keep doing it and no one calls them on it, they're never going to learn. And Tanya, thank you so much, obviously, for your insight and your openness for discourse. Uh, I I have to say I appreciate everything that you're saying and, and the bravery that you take in being a public figure on something incredibly polarizing. So I hope you do know that you have us as, I don't want to say ally, you have us as an active participant in struggles where you need our support, especially carrying this flag. Uh, we're not a shield, we are accomplices. Uh, both of us, obviously minorities, we've experienced our share of negative experiences, we've experienced our share of racism, and there's always teachable moments when you survive and get through, both for me, but also things that I wish I could say to the people putting me through XYZ situation. And that's why this mm. platform exists. We're talking to, by the time this is done, like maybe multiple thousands of people who will hear this, who will sit through this content. So I cannot thank you enough for being here, for talking and delivering these messages, but then also taking the discourse uh, from the Twitch audience. And Twitch audience, thank you for being so very respectful. All the questions were good questions. I, we haven't seen any sort of like problems that we've had to moderate in the Twitch chat. And that just gives me so much hope because to know what you've come from in your Twitch experiences, right? Like I know what you were gonna bring to the table when you said, Larry, these are some of the things that have happened to me on the internet. I just wanna, I commend everybody for being involved in this, being very professional. Mm. Oh, I mean, for those that aren't aware, I was stalked for three months and my community, not just me personally, yeah. but three months across multiple channels where my community streamed. And as much as I hate talking about it, there was a Kotaku article, which I did the interview for. So I'm a bit more jaded on some of this because this person simply felt because we wouldn't let them have the run of the channel and argue back about the use and the abuse that people get using the LGBT tag on Twitch that they was perfectly fine to not just take the L, get their ban, and go have a nice day. They stopped us in the community for three months. So I'm a little bit more jaded than some people on this. That's yeah. why earlier I was like, where's your moderators? Where's your butt? Yeah, yeah. No, don't. It's okay. Please, this is You're helping us because we need to make sure that it's a protected space for everybody. Um, but the discourse is important. Right, the things that are being said are important, and where we go from here is important. Mm -hmm. So I understand the jadedness, especially knowing what you've gone through. I haven't had any sort of internet issues like that myself personally, mm -hmm. uh, so I don't want to say I know how you feel. But what I do want to say is, please let me know if there's anything that we can do that we can use this platform for that we've created to make sure that you don't have to keep feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Any any little thing, uh, seriously, it's not it's not even an issue. Yeah. And I co-sign on that. Anything that like move, removes the barriers, so that we can just look at ways to just create together. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, making games is a creative expression, and we need as many voices as possible to actually do that and work well together and actually produce something that as entertaining or educational and put it out there uh, with as many thoughts and experiences put into it. So it only helps anybody uh, that is into games uh, and playing games to kind of be able to, to experience these different points of views and perspectives. And we got to fix that on the developer side and being 
you know, allowing all these different types of people to have their opinions and, and actually have a say in the creative process. So we do have a very captive audience right now. Uh, is there anything that we can, you know, like we, we have the airwaves. Is there anything we can do to give like one last piece of empowerment or direct action that they can take today to even make one small piece of change? Uh, definitely, again, let's, let's show your social, your social links and connection links. Um, I would say the thing is, find people on Twitter that are talking about issues you don't know about, follow them and listen. Don't be the weirdo that DMs someone and goes, hey, I saw this thing about a black character, aren't you mad? Because that's the fastest way for me to block you in anyone's ever. Um, Support independent creators. If you have the financial means, find a few folks on Patreon, fund their Kickstarter, um, you know, find people that are doing what you like and game development and other things where you are able to contribute. And again, this is if you have financial means. If you don't have financial means, boost people's work. If someone says, hey, here's my coffee, I'm an independent writer, I'm an independent game maker, or I've got, you know, like, I'm a humble bundle partner and this helps someone else or it helps me continue to do my work. They've got a Patreon. Again, even if you can't financially boost them, sharing it because you never know who's going to see it. You never know who will come across your work. When we see all those tweets that are like, Hey, this tweet could help me get my next client or my break, share those. Um, and just have some compassion, realize you don't know everything. And for the love of God, don't be the, what about white men? Don't be the well actually person on Twitter. <laughs> and you know, my emails up there, tweet at me. Um, if you find yourself blocked, you may be following trashy people. It's not personal. But um, follow us on I Need Diverse Games and mostly just give us money so we can keep doing what we do. At the end of the day, resources are what matter and money is the biggest resource we need. So that's it. All right, Tanya, thank you so much for, again, taking the time to be here. Uh, simple as that. I don't have I don't have to even re-roll what I've said because I've said it twice already. We appreciate you, uh, <laughs> your time, your intelligence, your experiences and your willingness to share those those that knowledge and wisdom with the, the audience following us. Yeah, thank you so much, Tanya. And we hope to hear from you soon. We want to stay in touch because I know that there's, some, touch, yeah. there's some things that we can do in the near future to keep promoting you. I mean, y'all know where to find me. You got all my contact info. <laughs> yeah, we got it now. You can't get it back. Yeah. All right, guys. <laughs> Have a... Don't send me spam. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. None of that. Spam is only good in between seaweed and <laughs> yeah, rice. Right. <laughs> oh, you know, you know about our our patron saint Masubi. Yes, yes, <laughs> amen. Okay. Amen. All right, we'll see you. All right, thank you, guys. All right.